Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. It is my great pleasure uh, to welcome you to this week's ICEJ webinar. And uh, we're coming to you from our headquarters in Jerusalem. I'm David Parsons, uh, one of the vice presidents and senior spokesmen. And we just thank you again for joining us for our Thursday webinars. Uh, we've had some really good attendance in recent weeks with, for some of the Bible teachings, the current affairs, everything we're covering. <clears throat> and I uh, just want to tell everyone who's over on uh, Facebook Live or on uh, the YouTube channel and watching us, joining us from there. If you need translation, right now we have uh, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai. Uh, languages. You can uh, hear the teaching today in those languages over here on the Zoom webinar. Go to our website and there should be a, a path to, to get in to the webinar here, but we just uh, are so glad that uh, everyone has joined us. And today we're going to hold a Bible, Bible teaching with the Jewish High Holidays fast approaching, beginning with Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, we're going to have a teaching from my colleague here, Dr. Mormir Kalos. He's uh, one of the fellow vice presidents, and he handles international affairs for us and is doing a fantastic job of that. He has uh, around 90-some branches that he has to oversee and also a lot of language coordinators. Uh, and the Lord has just really blessed us with people who are helping the word go out from Jerusalem and all these different languages through all these different countries. And uh, Mormir is on top of this. And as I introduce him to talk about Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, um, I just say this, that uh, um, Mormir came to faith. Uh, in Czech, in the uh, Czechoslovakia, back when it was still under communist influence, communist government, um, but uh, he was part of an underground church there and helping build the church, um, and uh, had other uh, uh, pursuits. He was a diplomatic translator. Once the democracy came, he worked with the government leaders. He was their English translator in any meetings with heads of state from other countries. So he was very involved, became very involved in uh, even lobbying his own government on pro-Israel issues. So he, he's uh, had a whole history of support for Israel, diplomatic activity, but in his uh, church and faith activities, uh, Mormir started a, a Hebraic roots study and a, Bible, a weekly Bible study of the Torah portion that uh, I was uh, blessed to attend a couple times on visits to Prague to do uh, attend different events they were hosting there. And, uh, and it was a pleasure to be in his Friday night Torah studies. He is a real uh, Torah scholar in that sense. And we're just uh, very pleased to have him talking about uh, Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of a new month. It's also Rosh Hodesh but it's uh, an important month with these fall uh, high holidays. So Mormir, please, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, David. Thank you for your kind introduction. And I really have a very pleasant memories on my side of all your visits uh, to the Czech Republic when I was leading the Czech branch. We've done a lot of good things together and I thank you for all your involvement. 
So uh, again, as uh, David already introduced, my job is to talk about uh, Rosh Hashanah, first of all, what that term means. It is commonly uh, translated as the Jewish New Year. So I'd like to look together with you at uh, what we can actually find about it in the Bible, what is the meaning, and also uh, it's always my question, what can we as Christians from the Gentiles, the wild olive branch is grafted into this good olive tree, which had been standing hundreds of years before we even came in, what can we learn from that tradition? So first of all, Rosh Hashanah, uh, means the beginning of the year, but in fact, it is a new moon celebration. So in that respect, it is just another instance of a monthly holiday, which is normally called Rosh Chodesh, or beginning of the month, that is the lunar month. And uh, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, in verse 14, where God said, as he was creating the world, he said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens, to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Now, these, uh, uh, these bodies are basically the sun and the moon. And we know that uh, we can uh, define days and years and periods, uh, but they also define what is uh, here translated as seasons. And uh, the Hebrew uh, expression is mo'ed. And uh, the word mo'ed can best be translated as appointed time. So uh, it means that God, right at the beginning of, uh, of creation, he set aside certain times. And he said, these are my appointed times. And he then revealed them to the Jewish people and said, this is the time when I'm going to do something special. And when I'm available to meet with you in a special way. And uh, actually, the, uh, most of the Jewish holidays are somehow connected to these lunar bodies, and especially the lunar month, which makes them you know, difficult for us to arrange it, because uh, this is what we call the movable feast, because the lunar month is, does not exactly fit into our solar calendar. So we, we know it from uh, the, the feast of uh, Passover or Easter, because it falls each year to a different day. That is because the, the full moon, which is decisive, falls on different days. But let's just consider what are some of these events that transpired on these days, which the Lord said they would be special days appointed times. The exodus from Egypt. It started on the full moon uh, in the spring of the month of Nisan. The giving of the Torah to Moses. It's also governed by counting 50 days from Passover. And after all, Jesus dying on the cross, that also happened on the eve of Passover, uh, at the full moon in the spring month of Nisan. And, you know, it, it's really remarkable that God has uh, really been very faithful to his own calendar. And uh, there's no coincidence that these things happened exactly on the day which God, uh, at the beginning, uh, decreed to be the special appointed times. So uh, the Rosh Chodesh is one of those, and it is uh, what some people call a lesser feast, because the, its main function every month is to determine the beginning of the month. Uh, it is uh, remembered at the new moon, 
that is the time when there's actually no moon visible on the sky. And especially in ancient times, it was important to have a clear understanding when the month begins, because then you can count on and count, for instance, the 15th day, which is the full moon, uh, which is so important for some of the festivals. And so we learn from the Bible that every month, every beginning of the lunar month, the Rosh Chodesh is a time of drawing near to God. It's a time of gladness and joy. And it's also a time of blowing the trumpet or the shofar. And uh, the scripture also says that it should be a memorial. And uh, we at the ICJ have actually started about a year ago and we have been learning each month to really look into the Bible and see what happened in that particular month. And we are learning to ask the question, what can we learn from that? And I have to tell you that it's usually a quite somber reading because in almost every month, there was a tragedy, a catastrophe that befell the Jewish people. Uh, and we learned that it has always been as a result of their sin, their not obeying God. And by studying this and remembering this, we are inevitably reminded of the righteousness and judgment of God. And that, while that is true for all Rosh Chodesh, the Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the seventh month, which uh, is coming next week, that is, everything is even more magnified. This theme is very prominent. That one of Zikaron, uh, of remembering, of uh, somber parts of God sitting as a judge. And uh, biblically, that day is called the Day of the Trumpets, and I'll uh, come to say more about it in a minute. And just a, a note, where our translations say the Day of Trumpets, they, this is the rendering of the Hebrew word Yom Truah. Now, Truah is uh, usually understood, it's, it's a sound, it's a very vibrating staccato sound that can be made by a trumpet, but typically is made by the shofar. So where there is no um, other specific mention of a shofar, we just know that this is the kind of a sound, but we also know that uh, especially at this day, it is usually uh, done through this, the instrument of shofar or the ram's horn. So um, this day of Rosh Hashanah is uh, a holiday. It is a celebration that it's also a day of uh, mixed feelings. Uh, because people remember what happened, they hear the sound of the trumpet, and I'm going to explain what that all means, but uh, they also are eating and drinking and are happy because this is a holiday. So there is always this ambivalent character uh, uh, connected to this day. And then uh, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the month of Tishri, the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. And it is really full with uh, other important dates. After this first day of Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of awe, as they are called in Hebrew, Yamim Noraim, they start. And these are really a somber days of reflection and introspection and repentance, uh, also punctuated by the sounds of the shofar, and they lead up to Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month, Day of Atonement, the most holy day of the Jewish calendar. And uh, the Lord is celebrated as the king of the universe, but also as the judge. And then 
on the full moon on the 15th day of the month of Tishri, the most joyous festival of all the Jewish feast starts, and that is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So you see that, and we could speak volumes about the, the significance of all these feasts, but there is no other month in, throughout the year where we would find such a, a concentration of important dates and Mu'adim. So we can ask the question of why, why exactly this month, what is so special about it? And also, why is this month called the beginning of the year and the Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the year, when it actually happens in the seventh month? Normally, in our secular calendar, we would expect that the year begins in the first month, right? We start our new year in the first month of January. But the Jews have the first month uh, in the spring, Nisan, that's just because God told them when they got out of Egypt, he told Moses, this will be the first of your months, the beginning of your months. So they have been faithfully counting from Nisan as month one, and but then they count until seven, and the seventh month, the month of Tishri, is now called the beginning of the year. So how can we understand that? And in order to grasp the message, I think we need to get back to the uh, ancient Israel uh, with its agricultural cycle. Most, all the societies of the Middle East or anywhere uh, in those times were completely dependent on agriculture, and that means on the weather. Now, the, uh, the weather pattern in the land of Israel has not changed since the ancient times. And it is actually quite simple. There is no rain since, let's say, May until October. For the long summer, you don't expect any drop of rain, which is good for if you plan outdoor events and uh, you don't have to carry umbrellas and so on. Uh, but it means that the whole country is completely dependent on what comes after that, or what comes during the winter season, which is known as the rainy season. All the rains, which nurture the whole land throughout the year, have to come during the, the winter time. And so that means that uh, the month of Tishri is the month which opens the way towards the rainy season. And it is full of expectation and also fear. And uh, everybody knows that this is uh, a matter of life and death. It, should the rain fail to come, that could be a disaster. And so this is the, the main backdrop to all of the, the uh, feast uh, in, the, in the seventh month, because it is connected to something very significant for the very survival of the people. And also it reminds everyone that they are completely depending on, on God. And uh, we know that uh, it's uh, not only in the ancient times, when drought could uh, spark wars or disasters. Some people tell me that uh, the, the recent upheaval in Syria was actually caused by a prolonged period of drought. It didn't rain enough for a few years, which drove the farmers from the Syrian countryside to the cities, and then the riots began and it ended up in a complete desolation and a complete breakdown of the country of Syria, the whole state. So this is uh, something which is quite relevant today. And uh, uh, it was even more severe in the ancient times. And so in this slide, we can better understand the full impact of 
something which uh, we find in the Bible as a three and a half year drought, which came in the times of the prophet Elijah and uh, uh, Israeli king Ahab. And uh, uh, James says that Elijah prayed and the rain didn't come for three and a half years. Now, I interpret that to mean that it was actually four rainy seasons that uh, didn't come because you, you obviously start counting in the fall and there was the one rainy season which didn't come. Then the second year, you start again hoping for rain, it didn't come. The third year, you start and you hope and no rain. And after the three-year period, we learned that three, six more months, the drought was on, which to me means that the fourth rainy season also was absent. Now, we know from the Bible, and you can hear this, read a story in 1 Kings chapter 18, that it caused a complete calamity. There was a great famine in Samaria. It was a nationwide crisis. And uh, the time came when uh, prophet Elijah appeared to see King Ahab. And the king greeted him with these words. It's 1 Kings 18, verse 17. Is that you, O traveler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. And so we learned from this that this uh, natural phenomenon, the drought in Elijah's time, is linked to sin of the people. And I would say that uh, this is true for all disruptions of of the natural patterns which we might see them today. And uh, instead of finding fault with this or that, like Ahab did, uh, people should repent instead. And actually, uh, after talking to Ahab, Elijah went to the people and called all of them to repent. They, he said, how long will you fought between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And the people didn't know what to do. And then follows the famous confrontation with the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, with the fire of God coming down. And then, only then, the people said, yes, the Lord is God, Adonai, uh, he is God. Uh, but um, I believe there is a lesson in, in that. And we have actually called the theme of this year's Feast of Tabernacles, which we are going to celebrate in the ICJ online in um, uh, slightly more than two weeks time, we have called the theme, the days of Elijah. And it is because we believe that uh, uh, we live in a time which has some similarities. Uh, the global pandemic has completely changed the way we live in, in many respects, and it is not yet over. The crisis in Elijah's time lasted for more than three years. We are a year and a half into the pandemic and we don't know what it all brings. And there's a consensus that uh, we will never go back to the world we knew and uh, a new reality will emerge. And so we live in this uh, transitional time, time of uh, a lot of insecurity. And what does it all mean to us believers? I believe that it underlines the fact that we are completely dependent on God that God is sovereign and that we have no control of the future. We used to have our plans uh, of flights and visits and so forth. And now we go back to James and say, if the Lord wills, then we will do this or that. 
because we are acutely aware that we cannot even control anything of that. And uh, what it all means to me is that God is calling us back to him. He is calling us to repentance. He is calling us to draw near to him. And uh, so uh, this call of repentance is uh, something that I believe the Lord is issuing even through the shofar call and to, to everything that is going on to the believing church. And this happens to be exactly the message of Rosh Hashanah and of the whole month of Tishri. You know, the Bible has set all these important events to the month of Tishri, to the month of Tishri, because that is the critical time. That is the time when the Lord is sovereign and he will determine the fate of the coming season. And uh, uh, just like in the old times, we do not want to worship Baal. We do not want to worship Mother Earth. We do not want to do this or that according to our own understanding that we, even in the face of the global changes in nature and in, in climate and everything, we should acknowledge that God is God. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. And he determines exactly the future of each of us in, as individuals and of the whole world. And for us, certainly, this is the time to go uh, and seek the face of the Lord. So like in the old times, even today, we are aware of the, uh, of the dependence that we have on God. God appears as judge. And uh, this idea is, as I said already, is it permeates all the, the, the messages, all the feasts in the seventh month. Uh, and also even, of course, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the day of judgment, but even the Sukkot, the, the joyful festival, it does have an element where people are told to get out of their comfortable dwellings of the houses of stone and dwell in booths, in flimsy huts, uh, where they are exposed to the elements. And thus they relearn the experience of the Exodus generation and learn to trust in God rather than in any man-made protection. And uh, so that's again a message to any one of us. We should examine ourselves and uh, the Lord is telling us that we cannot rely on anything we have. We cannot rely on our real estate, on our money, even on our skills or health, we are fully dependent on God. So that's the setting of the whole month of Tishri. And that's the reason why there are so many holidays. Actually, in Israel, you cannot get anything done during this month because there are so few real working days. This is two days of Rosh Hashanah, then a few days, then a Shabbat here and there. So, and schools are closed for most of the months government offices are closed so this is really a, a whole time set apart and i believe that is because god wants people to say hey let's just think about your ways and uh, uh, draw near to me this is a time of reflection this is a time of going back to the basics so uh, let me now turn to a biblical study of uh, what we can learn about Rosh Hashanah. first of all the word Rosh Hashanah or New Year is not found in the Bible at all. The Bible just calls this day a first day of the seventh month. But we do find some uh, commandments 
and actually there are two slightly parallel passages uh, where the day is described and it is said what is the, the, main, uh, the main commandment relating to the first day. First, Numbers 29, verses 1 and 2. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day of Yom Troah, blowing of the shofar or the trumpet. And then it goes on to speak about an offering. And another passage is in Leviticus chapter 23. This is the feast chapter from verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing the shofar, zichron truah, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So you see that the, the blowing, the, the truah, the sound is uh, the, the principal commandment of this day. That's why it is sometimes called also the day of trumpets. And, um, you know, it, it's quite interesting to learn about what the shofar call all can mean. Uh, it is sounded also in other occasions, in every feast, it is sounded on every new moon. But again, the highest uh, concentration of shofar calls comes now in the seventh month. Everything is more intense. And the Jewish tradition says that this, if you hear the sound of a shofar, you should understand that this is something like a wake-up call. Uh, there, is a, there was a medieval uh, Jewish scholar by the name of Maimonides, or Rambam in the Jewish acronym, and he writes in his Laws of Repentance the following. Although the blowing of the shofar of Rosh Hashanah is a law issued without any accompanying reason, a hawk. There is also a hint saying, awake sleeping ones from your slumber and those napping arise from your naps, examine your actions and return sincerely to God and remember your creator. So uh, Maimonides said that when you hear the shofar, it's, it's a wake up call. And it rang a bell with me because there's a quite a similar passage in the New Testament. When Paul writes to Ephesians, he used this uh, similar exhortation, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And uh, so it it's kind of seems to be a similar concept. And I would like to read these, this passage from Ephesians uh, for the context. It starts in chapter 5, verse 8, and I'm going to read until the verse 14. Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
So the shofar call is connected to the wake-up call. It's a call to repentance. And here I find an interesting uh, connection between repentance <clears throat> and walking in light. And uh, light really is, is an important scene, uh, theme in the season. Uh, the Jewish tradition also says that on Rosh Hashanah, a new light enters the world. Uh, as if this is a day in which we see more brightly, we can uh, have uh, you know the vision renewed, and we can evaluate who we are actually, and where we are going, and uh, to what degree we live according to God's will. So again, this adds to this idea of introspection, repentance. And uh, speaking about light, light, uh, I found that a well-known passage. Uh, where there's more meaning that it uh, appears to be on the in the, in the first uh, uh, on the first uh, <clears throat> take. Uh, you all have heard this uh, phrase from Psalm 89: "Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound; they walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance." Right? It's uh, in, in many worship songs, and I'm, I'm sure you have heard that before, but. The Hebrew word for the joyful sound is actually the sound of truah. So we can read it, blessed are the people who know the sound of truah, this heart-wrenching staccato wake-up call of the shofar. Uh, and that, that's, that's fascinating. In other words, it says that there is blessing in heeding the call for repentance. There is blessing if we know not only the sound, but know what to do. And these people who do, they walk in the light of his countenance, repentance and light. And this is exactly what John says in 1 John 1. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see the connection. Call of the shofar through our wake-up call. That is calling us to emerge out of darkness and be exposed in the light. And then we walk in his light, in the light of his countenance. When we walk in light, then the blood of Christ operates and cleanses us from all sin. And then we are walking as children of light. So that is really a, a strong message. Of, and when you hear the shofar call, and uh, you're going to have the opportunity uh, in a few minutes, then let us think about this, a wake-up call, a call from darkness into light. Now, there's another aspect. The shofar call is also connected to the year of Jubilee. Uh, in Leviticus 25, verse 8 and 9, we hear uh, the, uh, these words uh, of, uh, connected to the establishment of the year of Jubilee. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the shofar of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the shofar sound throughout all your land. Just imagine the picture, the sound of the shofar blasting throughout the land of Israel. 
announcing a year of jubilee that was to come uh, once in 50 years and that was the time of returning to their original inheritance for everyone slaves were sent free and so the sound of the shofar is also a sound of freedom sound of jubilee and that's a good connection because we speak about repentance and what is the, the connection between repentance and freedom? Now well, it's clear when we repent, the power of sin is broken and we can walk free. The chains of sin of darkness are broken. So the shofar call calling us to repentance is also calling us to freedom. And Jesus said the same thing. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And when the sun sets you free, you are indeed free. And also you can see that Jesus himself identified with the message of the year of Jubilee. Because when he entered uh, the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, he took the scroll of Isaiah as the Haftarah reading. And he read from uh, chapter 61 the following passage. And uh, I'm quoting from Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, to proclaim the acceptable year, that is the jubilee year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing so jesus gave us the understanding of what the jubilee is all about it is not only being freed as a slave but it is to be free from all sickness from all sin from all addiction from uh, being brokenhearted complete liberty complete freedom when the sun sets you free you are free indeed so again the, the sound of the shofar is a sign of freedom and finally you see there are so many facets to the meaning of the shofar blast there's another one which i want to mention before we hear the shofar actually and that is uh, connected to the last days and to god's judgment and also to the restoration of Israel. Uh, I will quote from Zechariah uh, chapter 9, from verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a call the fall of a donkey. So this is the famous picture of Jesus coming as a king. And then in verse 14, the Lord will be seen over them, over the regathered uh, nation of Israel. His arrow will go forward like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the shofar and go with whirlwinds from the south. So the blowing of the shofar, you have the scene, the restoration of Israel on the one hand, the judgment over the nation on the other, and all those events will be accompanied as it seems by the blowing of a shofar isaiah 27 from verse 12 it shall come to pass in that day that the lord will thresh 
from the channel of the river of the brook of Egypt and to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. So it shall be in that day, the great shofar will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in that holy mountain at Jerusalem. So again, this is the time when God is gathering the Jewish people, and also there is something going on in the neighboring Assyria and Egypt. And that is very similar to a vision we many of us know in Isaiah chapter 19, where the revelation concerning those nations culminates in verses 23 to 25 in Isaiah 19, when uh, God says, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come to Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And in that day, Israel will be one of three, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, we don't know exactly what is the uh, relation between chapter 19 and chapter 27, but we can just say that in chapter 27, which I had read before, we find a confirmation that there is something in it for Assyria and for Egypt, and they will come and worship the Lord in Jerusalem. There may be different seasons, different times. In uh, chapter 27, it looks more like the people who will come from those nations to Israel to worship will be uh, kind of refugees, people who are perishing or who are outcasts from their own society. So whereas chapter 19 uh, seems to be speaking more of a, of a major revival for Egypt and Assyria. But be as it may, uh, it certainly uh, speaks of a specific future and promises for also the neighbors of Israel, and especially for Egypt and Assyria. And in our context, again, the big shofar will be blown when these things are happening. And this blowing of the trumpet, as it is uh, translated into Greek, is also found in the New Testament. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The Hebrew translation of the New Testament has, has the sound of truah here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, the sound of the shofar is the sound of judgment, but also a sound of comfort and joy. And uh, of course, the book of Revelation is full of the blowing of trumpets and shofars. And I have just picked verse, uh, from chapter 11, verse 15, when the seventh angel sounded, and the Hebrew translation has takab shofar. Now, tokea is another type of sound that you can make on the ram's horn. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
So that's that's a wonderful promise. And if we just keep in mind all those different aspects and facets of the blowing of the shofar, let's now listen to a recording of a true shofar call, which you know has all of it. It's it's nice to hear some theory, but it's a completely different thing to have this experience. So let us hear the sound of the shofar. Thank you. And uh, I would like to invite you to join us in blowing the shofar and heeding the call, the Rosh Hashanah celebration uh, and the 150 hours of uninterrupted prayer, which is going to go around the globe, will start the next Monday, September 6th at 6 p.m. Israel time. And then you can join us at any time you wish uh, in almost any language. There'll be many languages represented. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll go on for almost a week remembering God and uh, also blowing the shofar, I'm sure, and listening to what God wants to tell us. So, uh, David. Yes, thank you, uh, Mormira. Of course, always thorough. You, whenever you hear a Bible study from Mormir, you know he's done his homework and has different sources and such, and has really uh, become something of a scholar, uh, not only a Bible teacher, but a, a scholar of Jewish history, Jewish thinking, in, in the right way, drawing things out from it that, uh, that we need. And you know, it's always interesting as Christians that, you know, it's like discoveries. There's riches here where you have things in the New Testament affirming things in the Old Testament that uh, the Jewish people did or were commanded to do. And something about it is 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 living or relevant in the New Testament. And, and all these verses about the blowing of the shofar, it's very powerful. It's time to awake. And examine yourself. This is what Rosh Hashanah is. 
And this uh, trumpet that we just heard, it's very interesting. There's a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 where uh, Paul is talking about, you know, if I come to you just speaking in tongues and you don't have some understanding uh, that, that there's a revelation, some sort of prophetic word or knowledge or whatever, uh, you know, it doesn't do you much good. And with the blowing of musical instruments that, you know, to really understand or enjoy it, it has to have distinct sounds. And then you got this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 8. And if, uh, if the trumpet, meaning the shofar, gives an uncertain sound, who's going, how shall you get ready for battle? How you sh shall you prepare for battle? And what it tells us is that the shofar was blown in biblical times in Israel, uh, and each, and there were different ways of blowing it, and each one had a certain message. If there was a uh, time, an enemy at the gate and you had to rally the people for battle, it's different than the shofar blast on, the, uh, on Rosh Hashanah or say a shofar blast for a wedding or some of the other purposes for which it was done. And I know we, uh, many people have shofars today and uh, yeah, for in Jewish tradition, we need to understand there were different ways, different sounds, different ways of signaling to just blow it. You know, it, you have to sort of know something about what each one means. I would add to the whole subject of the rediscovering of the Jewish roots and everything. It's really a great treasure that there is also uh, for christians who get all excited about all these new things there is a certain danger that uh, they would uh, major on the minors and uh, i'm right at the beginning when i first you know got it it caught my attention it was when one of the jewish uh, messianic leaders came back to the czech republic it was ruben berger you know ruben and benjamin mm -hmm. and uh, so that completely opened my eyes to this realm, and I asked him back then, what would be your advice that we are not swept away by an excitement and going into things which are not so important? And uh, until this day, I remember his his advice, which is a good guideline for everyone: keep Jesus in the midst, keep Jesus Amen. in the center. And if what you do, what you learn. And even what you practically do, blowing the shofar or donning the tallit or whatever, if it helps you love Jesus more, then it's good. If Amen. it draws you away from him, discard it. It's not worth it. And I think that's the perfect thing that we need to all be, be aware of. And uh, as we teach our people, we should always have this, this uh, line uh, showing and emphasizing that it's all about Jesus. Yeah, and uh, I'll go back to this verse that you quoted earlier from First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, where it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And uh, the first thing you notice, it's not some angel coming down or whatever, it is Jesus himself. There are certain things in the Bible where only he can do it. He humbled himself, or he did that, he himself took on our sin. And here it is the Lord Jesus himself descending from heaven with a shout, 
and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, the shofar, the terah, that there's a, he's going to blow a certain sound as he descends and we shall go meet him in the air and uh, hallelujah, be caught up with him. It's uh, what the Bible refers to as the catching up of the saints. And, um, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we're going to, you know, it's all Christ-centered, and even he will blow that trumpet for us one day. And that's uh, the great hope uh, that we have. It's actually at his coming, and I believe you go up and you come right back down with him. But um, uh, these angels blow trumpets, blow shofars, and each has a distinct sound and a distinct message, and it's a distinct moment. And this one for Rosh Hashanah, is very, very important. I've seen Jewish friends that I know, acquaintances uh, here in Israel, they take it very, very serious. And I've had some come to me and say, look, I think I did this or that to you this year, and I feel bad about it. Can you forgive me? I mean, that's very unusual to have someone do this, and but it's how serious many of the Jewish people take it. And uh, I really appreciate it and honor it, but it's it's also built into the biblical calendar is this season where we all, we all can take advantage of it. And this, this examination of the self, because you're about to appear before God. I don't want to steal the, or start getting into the message next, next week. We'll come back and talk about Yom Kippur next week, but this is, this shofar blast at Rosh Hashanah is it's time to awake, examine yourself, examine what you've done to others, because you're about to appear before the king and give an account. Yeah. All right. So we're going into this full month, and uh, we can wish all our uh, attendees that the Lord speak to them and that uh, we all get ready for whatever yes. the Lord has prepared. Yeah, now we do have, I mean, in recent um, uh, months, we've been holding a Rosh Hashanah prayer vigil uh, that, I, I mean, a Rosh Hodesh prayer vigil, the start of each new month, each biblical new month uh, on the, on the um, uh, as the new moon is coming in. Uh, and this week, I, I, this month, I'm not exactly sure of the dates, but it's going to uh, uh, yeah, start on Monday. Ne next Monday evening at sunset, with yeah. the that's when Rosh, ha Rosh Hashanah also starts. And so, I, I'm and I'm not sure exactly how many days we have, but we've had uh, almost a full week. I think it's like 160 some hours. One of our recent ones. Yeah. where the prayer is circling the world. It's an online prayer vigil, prayer groups, churches, Bible studies, people are branches, everyone is joining in, people with prayer ministries that are joining to, to this online effort to raise up a, a, you know, a whole uh, uh, vigil of prayer to the Lord about the days we live in, lots of good prayer from, I think, 60, 70 countries get involved in it. So we invite you to join us next Tuesday evening. You can go to our website at icej.org 
and uh, within a few days, we should have the calendar up there. You can find out uh, when we're praying from your country and uh, make sure you, you join us for that. Um, and then uh, we're also going to have a prayer vigil during the feast itself. Rosh Hashanah starts the fall high holy days after Yom Kippur. If you've passed muster, you've stood before God, and uh, if you are worthy of entering the joy of his salvation, you do that at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the whole week of the feast, eight, eight days, we're going to also have an online uh, prayer vigil going on during the feast with uh, very similar. So twice this month, we have these online uh, prayer vigils that uh, you are most welcome to join. We just appreciate everyone taking part in it. Uh, and the feast, of course, is from 20th through 27th of September, just a few weeks away. We're getting ready for it. And tomorrow we'll be promoting um, the feast through our weekly feast webinar for the 10 weeks leading up to the feast. We have uh, on Fridays uh, this week, uh, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, our president, will join, be joined by Tiffany Malinen, uh, the feast registrar, Vince registrar, and uh, we have Steve Morpiri from the Philippines. Boy, he's uh, uh, just great. He'll have an encouraging word for you about the feast. Uh, we have Aaron Wright from Liberia, good brother who's our director there and very important uh, throughout uh, that part of Africa and the English-speaking countries there and uh, a, a, a really good young leader for us in Africa. We appreciate Brother Aaron Wright and our own Fine de Toka from Fiji, who works on staff, the executive secretary to uh, Jurgen. Boy, she was excited uh, a little while ago, Poimir, there were another 15 people from Fiji who had just signed up for the feast. We just got word of another 15 from France. I think I heard of 30 from some other country all today. The numbers are starting to come in. People answering that call. Today is the shofar caller. Next Tuesday at Rosh Hashanah, it's, the, it, it's uh, that shofar call. It's also a reminder the feast is coming. So please join us this year at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which will uh, be streamed live, streamed from Jerusalem, right to you, also viewable on demand. You can pick your packages for 90 days or nine months afterwards. You can still enjoy the feast all the celebrations, the, uh, the daily celebrations, the preaching, the worship, and also uh, we're, we're around 80. We're working on uh, hoping to have at least 100 teaching seminars and uh, in many different languages. So we've got an exciting feast coming up, but it all starts with uh, Rosh Hashanah, and we thank you, Mormir, for opening our understanding more of this important uh, moment on the biblical calendar that God set, the blowing of the trumpet. Uh, no work, you, you concentrate on the Lord, and uh, it's a, a Shabbat, a high holy day. The main thing is to open up your, your, your spirit man to be attentive that it's time to give an account before God. Thank you, Mormir. Amen. Amen. Pleasure. David, thank yeah. you for inviting me. Okay. And uh, also, don't, don't forget that next week uh, we have our weekly global prayer gathering. The GPG is on Wednesday every week. 
uh, at uh, 4 p.m. Israel time. So please join us then as well. Next Thursday, we will have uh, a feast webinar again. We will be talking about Yom Kippur, which is coming up uh, the week after, part of this whole series of the, the Jewish fall uh, high holy days. And uh, please join us for that. And, uh, and we just appreciate everyone who's come in today. Uh, we wish you uh, a, a sweet and happy new year. A, uh, Shana Tovav Metuka, where the, the Rosh Hashanah starts on Monday evening at sunset here in Jerusalem. And we're just praying that uh, on God's calendar, on his calendar of our lives, that uh, he just blesses you in the coming year. Amen. God bless you. And God bless you. Bye-bye. Join us at the feast. Bienvenidos Tara na at makisama sa kapistahan! the Lord worked mighty miracles all across the land of Israel. This year at the Feast of Tabernacles, we want you to experience that same fire of the Holy Spirit as in the days of Elijah. Journey with us through seven days of exciting Sukkot events in Jerusalem and all around Israel. Join us live from Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea, where the voices of the prophets still echo. From Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' miracle-working power was on display. And from Mount Carmel, where the fire of God rained down. You don't want to miss a minute of this year's feast. When you register online today, you'll get access to all seven live shows from around Israel and over 80-plus seminars from Bible teachers and experts around the world. You'll also be able to join us for global prayer and anointed worship from Israeli and international artists. I know the Lord has a special appointment with you at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Register online today and we'll see you at the feast.